Hey, what's happening? Welcome to the Influential Communicator, the go-to podcast for your weekly dose of storytelling, speaking, and communication bullets to help you craft stories that sell and deliver presentations that win. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani. So without further wait, let's get into it. When I think of an influential communicator, I think of Chris Hatfield from starting his sales career, doing door-to-door sales and being 100% commission-based. Chris actually started struggling with severe anxiety, but little did Chris know that this experience was about to become his biggest gift as he started to dig deeper into things like human psychology and ultimately how to utilize the mind so he can sell better and really live better. And today... Chris is the founder and CEO of Cell Psyche, whose mission is plain and simple, people, to create healthier minds, sales pipelines, and vibrant cultures. Now, I wanted to bring Chris on the show specifically today to discuss one thing, how to communicate your mental health story as a sales leader. And here we are. Dude, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? I'm really well. Thank you, Ravi. Thank you for having me. Did I miss out anything in your story? Well, I definitely missed stuff out, right? But was it (laughs) clean, punchy and describe you well? I hope it did. And the mission. Yeah, really well. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Good, man. It's an important mission. And there was something that I read. I think it was on your website or on LinkedIn. I can't remember, but I had no idea about this stat. But when you highlighted it, I was like, wow, this is this is actually insane. And it was the idea that 56% of sales reps don't feel comfortable talking about their mental health with their manager and that these challenges are costing the UK economy around 45 billion per year, which is insane. When you first started experiencing anxiety at the start of your sales career, how long did it take you to talk to your manager about the challenges that you were facing? I didn't really. That was the thing. I didn't feel comfortable at the time. I think, you know, 15, 16 years ago, it wasn't really even mental health was was not even on the radar. It was mm. probably just labeled as, you know, in just variety of things going on, but didn't feel comfortable, didn't have the resources, didn't have the understanding. And it probably actually gone through my career and any of my last role before setting up Sales Psyche did I feel really comfortable to talk about it. And it kind of like highlighted one of the reasons, one of the challenges that there is around it is people are so fearful, even more so now with what happened with covid are thinking, oh, if this happens again, am I going to be next on the chopping block? Like if I talk about this or some people are like, oh, we've got an open door policy, but someone's got to go through it first. And a lot of the time the individuals don't want to, because there can even be these unconscious biases that people don't even realize that they're having around this topic. Man, it's interesting you say that because people talk about first mover advantage, but it sounds like from what you're saying, it, it, it may not work in this sense. So when it came to you actually telling your recent manager, sales leader about your mental health journey, was it worse in your mind or worse in reality? Worse in my mind. I think everything is worse in our, in our mind in a way of like the thought is always worse than the reality itself. Because mm. I think for me, I'd, I'd built it up through probably a number of years, but for me, I'd obviously had a better understanding around it, but I think most people will feel like that, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And it can be scary. It can be daunting because you think, well, how do I, and a lot of the time people don't talk about it until it's not too late, but until it's, there's a big problem there. Like for example, they're burnt out or they're not performing and their manager maybe calls them out on it. And then they end up having to say, look, this is what's really going on. Uh, It can often be very reactive. Hmm. 
it's funny, isn't it? You say the word reactive. And when you actually decided to share your mental health journey with the world, did you proactively craft that story, put it out there in the world? Or was it more reactive? Did something happen in the day? And you're like, you know what? I don't care. I'm ready. I'm sharing it with the world. How was it like for you when you pressed, I was going to say send, but it wasn't an email, but post or whatever it could be when you shared your story online? Yeah, I think it it was proactive. It was for me, like I, I know with, with what I do and what I share that it's about just as much about encouraging other people to to share their story, not necessarily online, but with their colleague, with their manager, with their partner, with their friends, like family. And uh, I think the other challenge that we've kind of had in the last couple of years is people almost have this, you know, this social comparison theory of downward social comparison of thinking, well, at least I've got a job. Like, at least I'm in this position. So who am I to have a problem? Like yeah. I, I don't, I shouldn't mention this and people are almost bottling up the other way now because they're almost so grateful for being in that position when in reality, all, all challenges are subjective and that everyone should quite rightly treat them individually around it. But it was proactive. It was thinking, what's the reason, first of all, for me sharing this? Cause I, I don't want it to come across as like a sub story or just like, oh, poor Chris, that's never my intention. I always feel like with the content I share that it should always leave the the reader in a better place, not the the person posting it. And I think that's, you know, as long as you're thinking about that intention, then that's the right thing to do. That's a really cool way of putting it, man. Really just thinking about what you're sharing and ensuring that it makes your audience feel significant versus you. So that's a really good point, dude. I like it. I like it. When you first started Sell Psyche, the mindset that you have was it different to the mindset of many sales leaders that you were approaching? And what I really mean by that is, did you get a ton of resistance when it came to actually having the opportunity to get your foot in the door? Because people were like, oh, mental health, I don't want to touch it. Like, oh, 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 don't know how to handle it. How did you deal with that resistance if you had, and did you really have it? Yeah, I think there's there's three kind of camps that I still come across. There's people that you'll speak to and they're like, completely get it. And do you know what? I'm trying to do as much as I can to work on this with my team within the business. You get the people who are like, completely get it, but I don't know where to start. I've got the intention here, but I don't know what that actually looks like. Like, how do I create the culture? And then you've got the people that are like, no, it's giving people an excuse kind of to sum it up of thinking, oh, if we start talking about this, people are just going to use it as an excuse. So that kind of camp, that's where resistance I've seen or people thinking that, oh, you know, they, they earn commission. Like that's the kind of like leeway as if all of a sudden that's going to alleviate all the problems that anyone can ever have. But I often refer to it very similar to, to physical health. You know, when we first started talking about physical health in the workplace where mm. people are like, oh, are they going to say they've got a stomach bug or a cold or the flu? is no. And and if they are doing that now, it's probably might not be always physical health. It might be around their mental health. They just don't feel comfortable talking about it. But the longer you leave it in the dark, the longer people will go on trying to deal with it under the surface and either leaving from it or just not performing to their best of their ability. You know, what's funny. I was just thinking for the people who are like, you know what, Chris, I'm all in. I'm in. I want to see this work. I believe in it. I believe in the vision. I want to make my team healthier in the mind so they can perform better. Did you have a KPI that you ultimately used as a measure? Because I can imagine when it comes to any form of consulting, coaching, speaking, every single person buying it wants to have an ROI on their investment. Mm -hmm. How do you quantify the ROI that leaders can receive? by really taking this on and taking it seriously? 
Yeah. So there is an ROI, but I, I thought it's a good point to cover first of all, because I get asked this a lot and I'll ask people and people listening to this, what's the ROI of your beer fridge? What's the ROI of your gym membership that you give people? <laughs> yeah. And not saying it's trying to avoid the question because we do, but it's also thinking, well, when we invest in those kind of things, what's the purpose behind it? The purpose is yeah. we want to make people feel better. We want to give them support. And we know that actually by doing that, that they're going to feel happier. They're going to feel more content. And that is enough of a, an ROI. Arguably, a beer fridge can probably cause more damage over time if it's not utilized <laughs> in the right way. We use the World Health Organization's five-scale model, which gives people oh. an instant score out of 100 of where their mental well-being is at. I often say to people, we measure our steps each day. We might measure our calories, but we very rarely measure our mental health. And we use that and we do that every four to six weeks. And we've seen an increase of around 15 to 20% with companies that we've been working with. But I kind of go, we still want that, but I go back to the point of what I said before is if you're really wanting to go into this with the intention of supporting your team, then look at it the same way you might look at those other things that you do where you're investing in it and you're not going right directly. How is this helping us perform with numbers? That's great, man. I like that. I like the reframe and the beer fridge. I mean, consuming the beer is going to be definitely worse for you in the long run, right? Before we get into it, man, one thing I want to acknowledge you for before we continue is that there's a lot of noise in the world today and in the space that we both really operate in, which is working with teams, especially revenue teams. But you've been able to get a very specific message out to the world that is so needed, man, in a time like this. And it's so cool to see so many big organizations that you partner with taking it on and seeing great results with it, because there's so many ways in which you can help salespeople sell better. And I think just what you've created and crafted is so needed. And I, I told you this before, man, when we met in person last week, I was like, dude, I don't see anybody else doing it in the way that you are. So I love it, man. Just want to acknowledge you for that. So one of the things that I see many sales leaders struggle with is having this belief that they need to be the superhero 24-7 and look like they've got their stuff together all of the time. And I think we've all been there. Let's be real. Like mm -hmm. all of us in there at some point. So the question is, is why do you think sales leaders actually struggle with the idea of showing their vulnerability and actually looking like they're human versus a superhero? Yeah, there's probably two or three things here. I think the first of all is habits, is how they've kind of probably been developed through their career. And it's very much a generational thing. I think the benefit now of what we're seeing with companies, particularly like in the SaaS space is more founders, people coming in with that kind of mindset of wanting to set the culture from the off. But I think it's definitely around habits of not having that space before and thinking it's not necessarily not wanting to, it's just not being, it's not in their nature. And it's not saying it's, they're trying not to do it. They just don't know how, because they've just never done it before. So I think that's, first of all, why people do it. I think secondly, is sort of thinking, oh, what happens if I don't know the answer? What happens if I start this conversation and don't know how to support it? What happens if I say something to someone and someone comes back to me and goes, me too, and this is what's going on? And I'm like, oh, I don't know how to answer them. If I don't do that, maybe I'm not a good leader. Maybe they're not going to think I'm a good manager. And just, I can delve into this later, but I think the key thing around this topic is recognizing you don't need to have the answers. You can be there to support someone to find the answers, but you don't need to be the, the fountain of knowledge when it comes to this topic. So I think they're the two biggest things. I think the third thing is thinking that, as I sort of referenced before, is thinking, oh, if I start talking about this, are people going to – I sort of use this analogy sometimes that people think as if there's these like two scales. And on one side, you've got accountability. On one side, you've got a vulnerability. And people have this perception that 
oh, the more you put into vulnerability, the less accountable you would make people, meaning you, they can get away with stuff, not performing and all that. And it's not saying that. It's just being able to recognize that being vulnerable and encouraging vulnerability is not saying to people you can turn up every day and not perform. But what it is saying is when you don't feel like it, you have the sort of infrastructure and support system to say something about it. So I think they're the kind of key three things there, really. And I like what you said there about the accountability and vulnerability scale, because you do see and hear a lot of leaders saying, oh, you know, I can't be too friendly with them and too vulnerable because then when I ask them to do something, they're not going to take it seriously. So it's, it's really interesting you talk about that. What would you say to a sales leader who wants to be vulnerable? They really feel like the time right now is one where their team needs to hear it the most, but the C-suite are old school. You know what I mean when I'm talking about old school is in mental health. What is that a thing? Like, do we need to focus on that? But the leader has a completely different value system and mindset. How does the sales leader approach vulnerability in that sense when they don't have the support from people up above? Yeah, I think that's obviously, a, you know, you're kind of in the middle there because you see your team, you're front of house kind of seeing all this going on and, and those those individuals might not see it as much and therefore not think it's as big a challenge. I think in that scenario, I think start really small in the one-to-ones, start with the team about approaching that conversation, framing it in the right way, coming back to what I said earlier about having the right intention here. Like what's the intention of you starting this off? You know, it can't just be a, I'm going to tell my story once and then expect everyone to come and confide in me. But, and I'll talk a bit more about the kind of tactic side of it, but I think starting off in one-to-ones, setting up that kind of open space for people to be able to talk. And then when people are, you can then go back to the C-suite and go, look, do you know what? This is what I've been doing in the last few months with the team with one-to-one. This is the kind of impact we've seen in terms of like performance or how people are providing NPS feedback, for example, in surveys. So I think sort of starting on that level can be really beneficial. Whereas the other side is if the C-suite are into it, that's where maybe you can go into a bit more of a, a town hall cultural thing where you're talking about it in a bit more of an open environment. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because ultimately what you spoke about there was sharing your story in a low stakes environment, like a one-to-one and then working your way up to a larger stakes environment, like mm. a town hall. That's, that's a really cool way of thinking about it, man. I mean, I don't really need to ask uh, this question rather, which is why do you believe sales leaders should share their mental health journey? But for those that are on the fence, they're like, ah, oh, is this really important? Isn't it better if I talk about what we're going to do next quarter? So if you could pin down one reason as to why sales leaders should focus on sharing their mental health journey, what would that reason be? Yeah, well, there's probably two, but I'm gonna if I go for one, <laughs> I'm gonna go for what this kind of alludes to the the stats you mentioned at the start around you know 45 billion being costing the UK economy each year. And by the way, about two thirds of that is presenteeism. So it's not even about people not turning up; it's about people being in the business but not feeling their true selves and not being able to operate at the same level and two in three reps saying they're close to experiencing burnout. It's if you're not having these conversations, all of these challenges are going on under the surface. And it's all very well saying we've got an open door policy here, but you've got to be the leader that steps through it first to sort of set the tone and, and give people a, an understanding to go, this isn't a trap. I'm not just expecting you to come in and, and I'm leading from example and I'm leading with good intentions of here's what's going on. And I think as long as you're, when you're being vulnerable, as long as you've got a sort of solution at the end of it to say, look, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. Here's, or this is what I've went through last year or during COVID. And this is what I'm doing now. 
that's the key thing there because you're giving people look this is the challenge and here's the kind of solution and here's the result from it rather than just the challenge because then if you do just dwell on that you will just get people maybe coming to you with challenges and you're then encouraging them to think you know i've gone through this and, and here's what i've done and by providing that result that solution that result you're giving them the tools to start thinking maybe how they can adapt it for their situation yeah i like what you mentioned there about in the resolution of the story really focusing on a solution that ultimately not create a culture of just, hey, we're going to bring problems to the table, but it's okay to bring your problems, but let's also focus on how we can um, find a solution to that. Am I right? Mm. Yeah. 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 And I think the kind of thing connected to that, which may be a second thing, but is encouraging a growth mindset within the business. Yeah. You know, if all you're ever doing is talking about results and outcomes and people don't feel comfortable to talk to you about the challenges that were going on, they're not going to grow from it because that's where the, the lessons are from the process, particularly around the mindset side of things. And if you're not giving them that platform or that opportunity or telling them through your story, people are just going to go and think straight to fixed mindset, think about the mm. outcomes and not learn anything from it. Dude, you sound like Wendy from Billions. I told Chris uh, when we met last week, I was like, man, every team needs a Wendy from Billions. And Chris was like, yep, like I'm that Wendy. I'm going to be Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. So tell me this. We've spoken about a lot about the pros of sharing your story. And before we get you know, into some of the tactics of how to share the story, are there any cons in your eyes to actually sharing your mental health story with the team or the wider organization? I think the cons come from when it's not done in the right way. So going back to that last point, if you're just telling people problems, then that's where you maybe create a culture where people will just then start talking about problems rather than thinking how they can can work through it. And and that's okay at the same time. Sometimes people won't always have that solution, but it's it's about still when they come to you is, as I said before, you don't always have to be the solution or the answer for them, but you can guide them and support them in it as well. I think that's that's one key thing when it comes to the kind of challenges around this is what people might think is, oh, are people just going to take advantage of it? Are people going to say this? And it's like, that isn't their problem. That's your problem. If you start having this conversation in the business and you believe people are taking advantage of it, for example, some companies will do unlimited mental wellbeing days. Other companies might look at that and go, oh, but you know, what happens if they take advantage of it? Well, that's down to you as a leader. You've hired the wrong kind of people. You've created the wrong kind of culture if people aren't bought in to recognize you're doing this for them to support them and they want to give it in return, they're taking advantage of it. That's not a them problem. That's a you problem. You hear that a lot, don't you? Behind closed doors, you do hear it a lot where people put out these benefits and they go, why are people using them so much? <laughs> why have you put it there, man? Like, why have you put it yeah. there? Then? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a really cool way of looking at it. Man. Yeah. Have you had to have some of these difficult conversations with leaders about what you just said? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it just comes back to the education sometimes. And again, the habits yeah. is when I go into these conversations, I don't believe that someone is necessarily saying that because they don't want to look after someone or take care of someone. They're just either habitually not thinking about it um, or two, just aren't educated around it. And that's okay. Like, cause I think people will do want education on it mm. and it's, it's not coming in and just lambasting someone for not knowing it's about yeah. going, okay, are you open to, to learning and having a conversation about it? Speaking of learning, man, that segues beautifully into what I want to learn from you today, which is really the tactical side of how to communicate 
one's story with vulnerability when it comes to sharing it with the wider org. I'm sure the listeners want to want to hear about this as well. So I don't know if you have a specific roadmap or process or framework, but let's start with somebody sitting down at their desk and they feel called to start sharing their journey and their struggles more with the team. That mental health is something that everybody has, but let's say if they haven't experienced something that they believe is worthy of sharing, maybe they even secretly believe, I don't have mental health. How do you coach a leader like that who's so open and growth-minded to sharing vulnerability, but they're like, "Mm, I don't know if I have mental health. Yeah. Well, first of all, everyone has mental health because everyone has physical health. If you know what I mean, it's like just reframing that for people is that we all have mental health. And of course there's mental health challenges, but everyone has that going on. It's like the same as physical health, the same as emotional health, spiritual health, if if you're that way inclined as well. So I think that's first of all, like really important for people is to understand. And also when we talk about like mental health, there's obviously people who've got challenges and there's people who are diagnosed with mental health disorders. So I think some people either some see it's black and white and like, but what we're talking about here a lot of the time is the people in between. Because of course, if there are diagnosis and other things, then of course there's, there's a lot more that needs to be done around that from support. To your point as well, I think it's really important to recognize it doesn't have to be this big, bad thing. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I've had depression or I've had, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. It doesn't have to be this big, grandiose thing for you to feel like I can share this. Going back to what I said before about the growth mindset, could be a going through some resilience. It could be working from home. It could be adapting to a change in the business. You know, it doesn't have to be this direct thing that's labeled as mental health and well-being, but it still affects your mental well-being around it. So I think first of all, it's 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 recognizing that. Secondly, I think it's then thinking, okay, well, going back to what's the intention, like kind of thinking what's the outcome here? When people, when I share this story, how do I want people to think, feel, or do as a result of it? Like if they're leaving the room or leaving the webinar, what do I want from a result of it? So I think that's kind of like the key thing. And the kind of structure I always go through is is a really simple one of the why, what, how. Like, why am I sharing this? How do I articulate that? What am I sharing? And then how, how am I moving forwards with it? Like, what's the, what am I doing as a result of learning this about myself? Mm, I like that, man. Why, what, how? That's interesting. That's interesting. And for those of you listening right now, you need to go back and you need to listen to when Chris said, everybody has mental health. Everybody has physical health. Everybody has spiritual health. And you mentioned a good point which is it doesn't necessarily have to be a time that you struggled with your mental health directly. It could be something that occurred, which then impacted your mental health indirectly. And like you Mm -hmm. said, I think sometimes we in our own minds are like, oh, wow, it has to be this Mount Everest style story where it's got to be this huge thing that we overcame and it's not worthy of sharing if it's not us climbing Mount Everest, but yeah, there's um, challenges in everything that we do, man. So I like that. So now that we've really understood that, okay, somebody says, okay, okay, I get it, Chris. I've got mental health. I feel you. I'm embodying that. Now I understand the why behind it, because there's got to be a specific reason. And then it comes to the what. So they're like, okay, they got their piece of paper down and they're like, okay, I really want to make sure this is said effectively and I include the right things. How do you figure out how much is the right amount of vulnerable when crafting the what? Yeah. 
Well, I think it goes back to what I said before is like, what's the lesson from it? What's the reason I'm sharing this? What can someone walk away from this knowing? Like if me, for example, saying that when I first started door to door and I had severe anxiety and it used to cripple me and stop me from even wanting to sell that day and maybe just want to go to bed. Well, I'm like, okay, well, what's the reason I'm sharing that? Or the reason is that's probably how a lot of people feel and they won't say it. And two, like it's, it's giving people an insight as to the kind of level of that severity around it. And, and why am I sharing that? Well, because it was hundred percent commission. So when I did do that, I didn't earn any money. So that is kind of just going through what's the intention here? Like, what's the reason? It's kind of like just going, is that a filler word? Is that a filler point? Does that, again, going back to, does that make me look good? Or is that trying to empower someone else to make them feel better about it? I'm going to take this on a slightly different uh, road just for a second. But you mentioned that you felt that when you were commission-based and now as a business owner, where ultimately it's, it is kind of the same, right? It is commission-based. Yeah. Have you felt any of these emotions, thoughts, and feelings come up again since you became a business owner and how have you dealt with it? The answer is no. And it's so even when I quit my job 18 months ago, I handed my notice in, there wasn't, but the big but here is because I've trained my mind to kind of look at anxiety in a different way and reframe emotions. And I think that the key thing, and this is obviously a bit of a side note as well, but I think it's really important to talk about on this topic is recognizing emotions as signals. They're not threats. And our perception of our emotions will influence. There is no such thing as a good or bad emotion, just a good or bad perception towards an emotion. If we went on a roller coaster, say you loved them, I hated them. We'd both go around, we'd both scream, but our perception of that feeling would be very different. And it's recognizing that. And this, the clearest example I give is when you're thirsty, your brain goes, Ravi, you're thirsty and you go, I'll get some water. You don't go, oh God, I hope I'm not thirsty today. And then when you are thirsty, you don't go, what would happen if I didn't drink for a week or two or three weeks? You, you get the water. It's a signal. And it's the same with anxiety. It's a signal. It's trying to get you to pay attention to something. It's just reframing the question to go, what is it trying to tell me here versus why is this happening to me? And rather than just dwelling on that story that we can create in our rational brain of making it even worse is asking ourselves questions because our minds are like a Google search engine. I use this analogy a lot, but whatever you type in, it will come back with evidence. If you're typing in negative statements, it will come back with all the negative examples around it. If you're typing in questions, it'll come back with possibility. So that's kind of how I've managed to get myself there. When anxiety pops up now, I'm, I'm almost grateful for it because it's helped me become more proactive and more prepared for things. It's funny you say that where it's a signal. You know, it's, it's, it's not judging the emotion and labeling it. It's really being able to zoom out and say, okay, and look at it objectively and then really being able to look at it without judgment. I really like that, man. That's really cool. And you speak of anxiety. Now, let's take it back to the communication of one story and specifically mental health story. Okay, somebody's figured out the right amount of vulnerable for their story. The question is, is, how do they deal with the anxiety that comes before they actually share this story, which maybe they've never shared with anyone before? So it links to something as a really simple exercise. It's, if people want to go into this a bit more, it's around cognitive restructuring. And there's a few simple questions you can use here. And, and also you'll get the idea that I use a lot of analogies. And I think analogies are great also for articulating your story in any sense, but particularly around your mental health and well-being. So our brains are always programmed to keep us alive, which is a good thing. But the challenge is they can catastrophize things. They can be a bit like the prosecution in a the courtroom. They can be like 
this is going to go wrong. This is going to happen. That happens. All these things. You're going to tell this story and your team aren't going to buy into you. The C-suite are going to think you're not strong enough as a leader. People are going to start taking loads of days off. People are going to stop performing, all those things. So I'd, I'd encourage people to write that down. And then imagine you creating that defense in the courtroom. And these two questions can be used for anything. First of all, where is the evidence that that thought is true? And what else could be true here? So where is the evidence that that is going to happen? Well, there isn't any. Okay, well, why don't you deal with it when it comes to it? Well, what else could be true here? What else could be true is you have this conversation and everyone's like, you know what? I'm so grateful, Rabbi, you've brought this up because this is something I've been going through as well. And I didn't know we could talk about it here. I didn't know I could come to you and talk to you about it. What else might be true here? By talking about it, we can then create a healthier culture where people feel supported from it. So those two questions, where is the evidence and what else could be true here? Write those things down. Don't think about them in your head with a very noisy head headspace, our self-talk. If you look at it, we speak about 130 words a minute. We can um, type about 70 words, rap God, Eminem, 260 words per minute and the fastest minute. Our self-talk is 800 to 1,200 words per minute. What? Yeah. No. So stick yourself on times 10. That's what's going on in your head. So writing things down just helps you become more present and look at things more logically. That's insane. Oh, I've got a head. I've actually got a headache thinking about playing that song on 10 times speed. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's interesting. So people, there's these two questions, right? That you need to answer to gather any evidence, if at all, to really see if that belief that you have holds in reality. So that's cool, man. I like it, Chris. Tell me this, man. How long should that story be? Because the worst thing is, is in today's world, when I want to say a lot of people believe that sharing your story is very important. And sometimes it can be very important to us. And then we share this 10 minute monologue when the audience care, but they would prefer to hear it in a 90 second snippet. So in that first moment, when the leader is sharing their story for the first time, how long should it be? Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to the context as well of like, what's the follow-up after it? I think you should always think, well, if it's, this is only the first step, this shouldn't just be the the final step is thinking, well, if I'm going to share this, what's the next step beyond it? So it might be, for example, you know, you can use like Mental Health Awareness Day or week as a, as a good sort of starting point, not saying you have to, but you might say, well, I'm going to share mine. And you might say, oh, there are two or three other leaders. And maybe you're sharing this with your your peers and saying that this is something I really think is important we do as a business and you haven't got the C-suite challenge that we mentioned earlier, there might be three or four leaders that go, right, yeah, let's let's take turns. Or um, I've seen companies do it over like a week on their stories or on Instagram or on LinkedIn or in like internal comms saying, this is my story and just doing like a, a 90 second video on it, for example, and just talking about it each day. So you've got a different leader talking about it there. Um, if it's within a, a group environment, if it's within a one-to-one, I think it might just be five, 10 minutes, but just keeping it again, like thinking, is everything here relevant? That I'm saying, I'd say probably around five minutes. If you get into 10, it might just feel like, okay, you're, you're giving someone too much of a burden to think about themselves, particularly if they're on their team. If it's a town hall, it's thinking, right, if I'm going to do this, then how do I create maybe uh, an activity or something afterwards where people can maybe carry on this conversation and say that this is my challenge. And then we're going to break out into small breakout groups. And we're going to talk about limiting beliefs, for example. Managers aren't, aren't going to be there. You're just going to have your own space. Managers will leave the room, for example. So I think it's just thinking about it rather than just this one-off event is like, what's the, the first three to five things after it? 
Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned the mediums as well. You know, the town hall versus the one-to-one versus the team meeting. That's interesting, man. That that is that is interesting because it sounds as though from what you're saying, that one-to-one is more of a conversation where you're ultimately hoping that it impacts the person enough where they exchange their own struggle in return. For you, is that the ultimate is that the ultimate goal to have somebody exchange their story in return? Yeah, and uh, but I think at the same time, don't feel disheartened or don't think you haven't done a good job or that someone doesn't trust you if they don't. Like yeah. build it up over time. Don't just think I'm going to share this and they're going to instantly open their open their hearts to me and just pour everything out. Uh, I think it's you know building that trust over time and showing people it's all very well saying one thing, but when someone is in that moment of distress or frustration of going, okay, how are you setting the example there? How are you setting your example when you're maybe not having a good day? If you're not having a good day and you're coming in and flying off the handle, then that's not really a good example for them to say to people, I'll oh, come and tell me your challenges. Cause they'll be thinking, well, can I talk to you if you're not being able to really like self-regulate yourself or the other way, if you're this toxic positivity person, who's always like, oh, everything's amazing. We're going to smash it. We're going to do this is people are going to think, well, you don't talk about this topic. You're talking about it now. It's, feels a bit disingenuous or is it inauthentic are you just doing it so and even if you haven't talked about it it's just doing it over and over again but as i said before not just about one big topic but these smaller things and just recognizing someone will eventually do it but you've got to be that kind of change instigator so it's the frequency and the the culture versus oh this is the theme so let's just do it because we have to which i I hate to say it, man, but I think so many companies do that. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think some people are like, oh, what can we do? And I'd say people listening to this, even if you don't work with people like myself or the other great resources out there is look at what you do for like mental health awareness week and go, how do we do that continuously Mm. rather than just doing it for a week and sharing it and getting someone to come in and talk about mental health or doing a couple of like mindfulness classes is like, well, how do you create consistency out of it versus what you said? So many people in your team will be going, this is just a tick box exercise. It's funny. I think on LinkedIn, it's you mentioned the concept of creating a culture around it and frequency. On LinkedIn, you can really see the companies who don't just put up a one post and say, happy whatever it is to our friends over at X. It's like a very corporate red tape style message which they do for specific events because it's a tick box exercise like we said Mm -hmm. but then you've got the other companies which you can see the leaders talk about it because their teams are open to talking about it they're talking about it on video on social and it's so cool to see man is there one specific tip that you can give somebody to stop thinking about it like a tick box exercise and start really ingraining it into the culture and the dna of the business yeah, I think one of the questions to ask yourself is what's the impact of not doing it? Because sometimes we think, oh, what's the impact of doing this? Is what's the impact of not? Like, what is it actually going to cost you if you don't do it? Because everyone else is going to start doing it and the companies that don't will will find out the hard way. I said this, I've posted about this every week. It's, it's no longer a perk anymore and it never should have been mental health. It's basic hygiene. Like, yeah. It should just be like a, a human right within a workplace of, of taking care of it and if you're not it's and if you are it's not this all oh, nice to have stick it on the website here's your perk it's like no that should come as standard like you should care about that it shouldn't just be this this nice benefit it shouldn't be lumped in the same way a holiday is because they're, they're two different things 
dude, I never thought about it like that. The, the fact that companies actually talk about it in their perks when it's exactly as you said, it should be a given. I never thought about it that way. That Yeah, man, that's interesting. Yeah. I think from a marketing perspective, comp- some companies love doing that. Yeah, well, it's a bit like going, you've got your own chair and table here. You wouldn't stick that on your perks, would you? It's like, it should be a given. <laughs> oh, that's so true, man. I never thought about it like that. That's very, that's very interesting. Now, the question is, before we get into the how very briefly, the question is, nobody wants somebody that just shows up and throws up. What I mean by that is imagine meeting somebody for the first time and that is what they lead with with no solution at the end. It can feel quite uncomfortable for the other party. Do you agree with that? Or do you think, no, you know what? There's always the right time to share this vulnerable part of your story. Are we talking about a leader showing up and- Yeah, sorry, a leader. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. showing up day one, boom. Or do they layer it in over time is what I'm really trying to get at. I think layer layer it in. I think if you're you're a new leader starting or maybe you've just been promoted to, to running a team, I think- Unfortunately, because of how things are perceived these days, that maybe you have to go against the grain and and bringing it up in one-to-ones is the best way to do that. I think, as I mentioned earlier on, is just building up from the ground, having that conversation, having that mm. expectations meeting and saying, look, for example, your mental health and well-being is really important for me. And, you know, I want to support you and here's how I'm going to do it. So for example, it might be that start of every one-to-one, we're going to start with that conversation. It's not just going to be a, an add-on at the end. Where it's like, oh, hey, how's your mental health? Okay, cool. Yeah, not bad. When we talked about pipeline for 50 minutes and if I'm not doing well, I'm definitely not going to tell you how I'm feeling. (laughs) Yeah, I think just starting off on that really small scale and then once you've set that expectation is then you can start bringing it into team meetings and and sharing a bit more and people get a bit more of an understanding because you all have understood individuals better as well from the one-to-ones. I really, really resonate with that, man. I really like it. And I know you've just covered the how there. So that was really articulate the way you delivered that. I like it. And I suppose the question I have, one thing to think about when it comes to the the how of what happens after you share your story, I don't know about you, but a vulnerability hangovers can suck. I know there's parts of, uh, well, there's times and there's parts of me when I've shared a certain story, I'm like, oh, like after you press send or after you share it you're like oh man you dwell on certain parts should i share that should i not and i think that muscle gets strengthened over the time personally that's how i felt it but for somebody who's dealing with a vulnerability hangover after they've shared their story how do they deal with that yeah well i think first of all as you say it's it's recognizing and i think particularly with this people appreciate the rawness of it If you overthink that message and you think, oh, I delivered it perfectly in a way that can come across as unauthentic and disingenuous, it can almost be too scripted and it can feel like, oh, that's been, you know, just hyped up a bit or whereas if it is a bit more raw and it is a bit more edgy, then I think particularly with this, it's actually reminding yourself that that's what people want to hear because it is messy and that's how we think. We think messily when, when we are struggling with these things. We don't think rationally is the point. So I think reminding yourself of that and then going back to those questions of, well, where is the evidence? If whatever thought is popping up and what else could be true here around it? I like it, dude. I think that's super helpful for everyone listening. The why, the what, the how, thinking about it in a in a rational way that everyone has mental health and really focusing on a specific outcome and building a culture that 
mental health is a part of every salesperson's journey, every part of every human being's journey, and it's only going to help their performance, man. I love it. Dude, thank you so much for coming on the show. The final question I, well, actually, penultimate question I do have for you is, what's the vision for Sales Psyche over the next three years then? Yeah, well, it's it goes around that, the um, the mission around creating healthier minds. It's it's being able to support as many people as possible. And, and this topic of mental health and well-being is bigger than me. It's bigger than sales psyche. It's not just this one company thing that I want to take over the world, but it is to is to start working with with large, larger, well, I say start. We're obviously working with some large organizations already, but but really changing the cultures and, and some of the topics that we've we've seen today through our work directly and indirectly through what I share online and just getting people to look at mental health and well-being in a in a different way, in a in a healthier way. Uh, for themselves and and those people around them. I love it, man. I love it. And when it comes to influential communicators that you look up to in today's world, is there somebody that you resonate with the most? Around this topic, Ollie Sharp is a, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I jump to Ollie okay. Sharp because I think he's a great, I'll give him a shout out because he gives me plenty of shout outs. But Ollie Sharp, he's the VP of revenue at Sales Loft and he is the epitome of, you know, talking about culture supporting your teams. He's a big advocate around this, but not just a big advocate. He's a big example of it. I've had a number of his team on my podcast over the years and and spoken to them. And they've all spoken very highly of how comfortable they feel talking about it with him, with a group, with each other. So I would say, I'd say probably Ollie on around this area. I love it, man. Thanks for sharing that, dude. Ladies and gents, that's Chris Hatfield. Dude, where can people go to learn more about what you're up to? You've got some cool things in the pipeline. So do share. Yeah, so website is salespsychepsyche.co.uk. Find me on LinkedIn, Chris Hatfield, not Hadfield, not the famous astronaut. That's a little mission of mine to rank above him in the SEO terms. When you type in Chris Hatfield, it comes up as, did you mean Chris Hatfield? No, but <laughs> one day I will say the other thing. And also I've, I'm, uh, I'm on Instagram as well with Hey Psyche How. Um, you can find me on there where you'll find the, the pods uh, around it. And also we've just launched with Sales Psyche. Uh, the stress and burnout prevention course, which is a CPD accredited course for any sales and commercial leaders. So um, if you feel like you could benefit from that, then then drop me a message or head over to the website to find it. Well, congrats, man, on the on the new course. I know that's super important to you and I'm sure companies will feel the same way. Ladies and gents, that's Chris Hatfield. I'll see you on the other side next week. Peace. Oh, okay, okay, hold on. So you thought that this was the part of the show where I say something like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you did enjoy the show, then please drop us a review and do share it with a friend. Well, I tell you what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be predictable here, okay? Do share it with a friend and do drop us a review if you got some value from today's episode, okay? So if you want to impact people, remember, you need to learn how to influence them first. Thank you.